convert me into Christianity. I said, okay, let me ask you a question. Carson on uh, how long have you been a Christian? Secrets of the University. He said, no, you've been about 50, because give yourself the time to be a toddler first, right? So goes, yeah, 50 years I've been a Christian. I said, well, give me a summary of the book of Deuteronomy. I didn't read it yet. Question. I said, are you basing your eternity on this information? Yes. We're a I'm basing it on it. Now, you haven't read the book of Deuteronomy? I said, okay, what year was the Bible written? What years? Uh, well, when, you don't know the years, so I like, you should be able to, I know it's information, how come you don't know it? <laughs> I, I said, why don't you not know that you're talking about the Phoenicians, the people who followed the Hermes, Trismegistus, Stoke, the Atlantean, that's who wrote the Bible. He said, no, the Bible was written by Thomas and Judas, and I said, no, man, sorry. Nobody in the Bible wrote anything in the Bible. Not one person, not one sacred word was written by anybody in that book. Not one word. They were illiterate, just like the disciples were illiterate. They couldn't even write, read, and write. Okay? They knew how to count shekels and fish. That was about it. Okay? The book, the Bible wasn't written as a book. Nobody sat down and said, I'm going to write this Bible. No. Somebody 2,000-something wrote this piece, and somebody 4,000-something wrote this piece, and somebody 100-something wrote this piece. It was just pieces and fragments of information left around in shallow caves and in old pottery and...
the then archaic records of ancient Atlantis, the Emerald Tablets, contain the history of Atlantis and its mechanical and scientific achievements. The manner of, let me stop right there. Above the, great, above the Grand Gallery in the Great Pyramid, two years ago, they discovered a hidden chamber. Scientists uh, discovered this, researchers, they did what they call a muon scan, and this chamber is actually there, exactly where you said it would be. And uh, it made international news. If you look it up, hidden chamber above Grand Gallery in the Great Pyramid of Giza, okay? They found it. I always love it when modern technology backs up ancient tablets. The Emerald Tablets, the Emerald Tablets contain a history of Atlantis, its mechanical constitution, in the manner it sank below Atlantis to the, the Atlantean waves. The colonization of ancient Egypt and even to the construction of the Great Pyramid, but their real significance that they contain the keys to the unfoldment of the heavens and the earth and the divine soul of man. These tablets were so written that the words respond to the tuned talk thought waves, releasing the associated mental vibrations of an exhilarating rhythm in the mind of the reader. Thus, the magnanimous wisdom of the author is revealed. A casual read will immediately give glimpse and thrilling beauty of its rhythm. The truth seeker who is willing to give them more intensive study will open avenues to the most intrinsic wisdom. Uh, wisdom of unutterable majesty, uh, majesty and beauty. So, basically, it's a phenomenal read. I mean, if you read it, you know, I've read it now 180 times. Uh, and the more you read, the more you begin to understand and realize, the more you begin to see. It's not something you want to read just once. They're very, very, very powerful. Information that you can get about the location of Jesus when he escaped, when he did, or escaped, but I call it escape, but when he was missing from the modern day Bible, from the age of 12 to 32, you can get it from the Holy, the Gospel of the Holy Twelve. Now it has to be this cover. There's two books out there that have the same name or similar name. This is the Gospel of the Holy Twelve. I found this one for $650 uh, online on Amazon. Why? Because they don't want you to read the scripture, so it's not in publication. It's very hard to find. Sometimes you get lucky and somebody will put a used one for like 50 or 60 bucks, 150 bucks I've seen before. This one was in pristine condition, so I paid the 650 for it. When I look at it and read it, I actually use gloves. I only want my, my acid from my fingerprints to get on this book, okay? But this is a powerful book because once I read this book, it talks about only where he disappeared to. He went to Egypt, uh, and he actually lived in Coptic Cairo to learn the Egyptian mysteries from who? This guy. That's where he went. Now, either he was the son of Thoth, and I really, really think now looking back, he probably was the son of Thoth. Um, that's where he went. So he learned the Egyptian mysteries. Then he left there and went to Tibet, and he went to India to learn mystic arts and Reiki healing with his hands, teaching reincarnation the whole way back. In the Sinai Bible, no crucifixion never existed. Now they found the, uh, the book of Jesus' wife, which is the book of Yeshua's wife, which is located in the Harvard Library. And he got married. So this whole thing has been a big farce. You guys have been, not you guys directly, but you know, people have been hoodwinked, they've been tricked, unfortunately. Um, was he an amazing person? Yes. Was he amazing? What, a, what an amazing mission and spirit? Yes. I believe that. Was he a real flesh and blood person that actually walked on this planet? In my personal opinion, it wasn't just about this movement of the sun and stars and all. I think he really was a person that was here based on the fact that they turned his house into a shrine where he, where he was. And I went and visited that house and had pictures of it. So I believe that he was a real true person, that he was taught in the Egyptian mysteries. And this is why in the New Testament the Bible, if you read my book, you find out that his words mimic identically what Thoth was saying 36,000 years prior. So which came first, a chicken or the egg? <laughs> He's literally quoting 
12 in the New Testament of the Bible. Anywhere you see Jesus speaking, you can find every single verse in the Emerald Tablet. Right, that was mind-blowing for you and me. Okay, um, give me Jesus. Jesus. Buried biblical mysteries of the Holy Land. I don't know, that sounds a little heavy. Hmm. Babylon City at the center of the world. The concise history of Babylonia. 2,539 BC. I have watched half of that already. The giant who became Pharaoh. Hmm. The short. The giant who became Pharaoh. In the early 1900s, John Garstang, a British archaeologist, made a groundbreaking discovery near Gurja in Upper Egypt, a large mastaba belonging to someone important. Among the finds were relief fragments bearing the name of an unknown Pharaoh, Sanak, the first king of the third dynasty and predecessor of Djoser. Inside the tomb, archaeologists found the remains of a man, but something was unusual about them. Upon closer examination, they found that the bones were excessively large. He was 198 centimeters tall, making him 20 centimeters taller than his contemporaries. Even taller than Ramses II, who was only 175 centimeters. Some researchers initially suggested that his impressive size was due to gigantism. However, a new analysis found that he was not suffering from the condition. He was simply a remarkably tall man. In his book, The Making of Egypt, Flinders Petrie noted that Sanic gave a fresh impetus to Kemet and that he was of Sudanese type. South Sudanese people are known to be the tallest men on earth, offering a possible explanation for Sanic's height. Giant who became Pharaoh. In the early 1900s, John Garstang, a British archaeologist, made a groundbreaking discovery near Gurja, in Upper Egypt, a large mastaba belonging to someone important. Among the finds were relief fragments bearing the name of an unknown pharaoh. Sanic, the first king of the third dynasty and predecessor of Djoser. Inside the Illuminati is an extension of Giant who became Illuminati is an extension of the mystery schools, which started way before Egypt even existed. It was from the land of Kem. And the Emerald Tablet, it starts on Atlantis, the actual island itself. Thoth's dad sends him to the land of Kem. He gets in a ship when he gets out to his barbarians. His job is to bring them to a higher level of civilization. From there, when they get to a certain level, he opens up the mystery schools and he begins to teach these people the higher things, dimensions, technology, quantum physics, all the stuff that they need to know, you know, the universe and everything else, how the things work, even to a higher level, talking about even manipulating the ether through vibrations and thought. So these mystery schools maintained for many, many years, and they were for invitation only, but they were for enlightenment of the race. Over time, as some of these gods left and disappeared, like Thoth, for example, after he was gone, he became a deity, and many years after he left. And then, all of a sudden, the pyramid priests figured out, oh, wow, we can use this as a control method. So that was one of the beginning of, the, of one of the very first secrets. Illuminati is an extension of the mystery schools, which started way before Egypt even existed. It was from the land of Kem. And the Emerald Tablet, it starts on Atlantis, the actual island itself. Thoth's dad sends him to the land of Kem. He gets in a ship. When he gets out to his barbarians, his job is to bring them to a higher level of civilization. From there, when they get to a certain level, he opens up the mystery schools and he begins to teach these people the higher things, dimensions, technology. Do you see it? How about now? Okay, how about now do you see it? I saw these incredible ruins when I was looking down this canyon, and I knew I just had to hike to it. I found out that you need a permit to hike in this canyon, 
so I went and got a permit and then came back to begin my hike. On the way down, there are a lot more ruins to be seen, but my main objective was seeing the ruin that's on the cliff edge. Oh, holy cow, how steep that is. Oh my goodness, let's go over there. Do I dare do it? Oh my goodness, this is crazy. Ooh, this is scary. Check out this petroglyph that is directly above the ruin. Is it a symbol for something? I don't know. I don't have any idea on what this structure would have been used for, but what do you think? Do you see it? How about now? Okay, how about now do you see it? I saw these incredible ruins when I was looking down this canyon, and I knew I just had to hike to it. I found out that you need a permit to hike in this canyon. Market wizard Larry Benedict is one of the most successful traders you'll ever meet. But he doesn't invest the traditional way. His approach has nothing to do with buy and hold, and it's the opposite of what a broker would tell you. In short, it's a way to trade just one ticker and potentially make all the money you need, no matter what happens in the stock market. I know, sounds... Did these mysterious crystal pyramids cause the Bermuda Triangle disappearances? In 2012, American and French research teams that were studying the Bermuda Triangle noticed a mysterious underground structure rising from the seabed. They soon realized it was a pyramid 300 meters wide and 200 meters tall, larger than the Great Pyramids of Egypt, and interestingly enough, was made of crystal. The semi-translucent crystal pyramid had two large holes at the top of it, moving seawater through it at high speeds, manipulating the currents of the sea. If legend has anything to do with it, Crystal technology was known to be a big part of the Atlantean myth, talking about how it was key to unlimited energy that powered the Atlantean society. And even though you can watch the full video by clicking on the link in the description below, people still speculate that the Bermuda Triangle disappearances were caused by sea monsters and faulty equipment. But after seeing what the crystal pyramids can do, scientists are now asking the question. Did these mysterious crystal pyramids caused the Bermuda Triangle disappearances in 2012? American and French research teams that were studying the Bermuda Triangle noticed a mysterious underground structure rising from the seabed. They soon realized it was a pyramid 300 meters wide and 200 meters tall, larger than the Great Pyramids of Egypt, and interestingly enough, was made of crystal. The semi-translucent crystal pyramid had two large holes at the top of it, moving seawater through it at high speeds, manipulating the currents of the sea. If legend has anything to do with it, Crystal technology was known to be a big part of the Atlantean myth, talking about how it was key to unlimited energy that powered the Atlantean society. And even though you can watch the full video by clicking on the link in the description below, people still speculate that the Bermuda Triangle disappearances were caused by sea monsters and faulty equipment. But after seeing There's what the crystal video, they found this lost city under
The Bermuda Triangle myth has its earliest roots in Columbus, who recorded a faulty compass, weird light, and a flash of flame falling into the water in his logbook. Columbus and other sailors who came after him also came into the dangerous area of the sea, now known as the Sargasso Sea. Legends from the past described sailboats that became permanently stuck in a body of calm water, surrounded by seaweed and the wreckage of other ships that had suffered the same fate. At least 50 ships and 20 aircrafts have disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle in the last 500 years, most of them without a trace. There have been no wrecks, no bodies, nothing. It's like they just vanished from existence. Numerous people have disappeared in the allegedly calm waters surrounding the triangle without making any sort of distress call. In one instance, five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers departed Fort Lauderdale, Florida on a routine two-hour training mission at 2.10 p.m. on the afternoon of December 5, 1945. At 4 o'clock, they had their last radio communication. They were never heard from again. The 27 soldiers in the planes vanished without a trace. The planes vanished as if they had flown to Mars, according to the official Navy reports. So how did the ships and aircraft vanish? What happened? There truly is no explanation for all of these disappearances, but sometimes you have to be open to unconventional thinking in order to find an unconventional answer. Sometimes, you have to be open to the fact that the mystery goes deeper than you could have ever imagined. I said I heard there's a pyramid under there. The Bermuda Triangle has been blamed for the loss of ships and planes, but in recent years has found itself accused of something much, much bigger. What if the Bermuda Triangle was responsible for the disappearance of the lost city of Atlantis? <laughs> that featured a statue of Poseidon, circular walls, and waterways. In his description for the enigmatic underwater kingdom, where the ocean was at the time navigable, for there lay an island larger than Libya and Asia together, in front of the mouth which you Greeks call, as you say, the Pillars of Hercules. And the travelers of that time could cross from it to the other islands, and from the islands to the whole of the continent over against them, which encompasses the veritable ocean. Tertullian, an early Christian author who thought Atlantis had once existed in the Atlantic Ocean, agreed with Plato, saying that the island would be larger than both Libya and Asia today. But what happened to make Atlantis disappear? Well, according to legend, Atlantis once belonged to Poseidon, the Greek sea god who met and married Plato, a young woman native to the island. On the island, Poseidon constructed a city, and on a peak in the middle of the city, he erected a palace for Plato. 
Poseidon eventually divided the island into ten halves and gave each of the couple's ten children control over one, with their firstborn, Atlas, having the island named after him. Atlantis was a utopia where no one had to work hard and where a wide variety of delicious foods were grown. For the island, Poseidon had fashioned a stream of hot and a stream of cold water. It had a magnificent culture with magnificent palaces and temples. Gold, silver, and other precious metals were in great abundance with the rulers. According to legend, the people of Atlantis were so significantly more technologically and scientifically evolved than people of today. They claimed to have found the key to unrestricted energy and power, using crystals to channel their power. The Atlanteans were said to have achieved extraordinary feats, such as flying in spaceships like anti-gravity devices, possessing laser-like weapons, talking computers, and even communicating telepathically. The inhabitants of Atlantis enjoyed a time of unparalleled peace and prosperity. Then, things started to change. The gods started mating with people. The Atlanteans developed a need for more than they already had. They made the decision to invade the nations bordering the Mediterranean. Zeus, incensed by the actions of the Atlanteans, produced an earthquake, or possibly a series of earthquakes, which caused Atlantis to submerge under the ocean over the period of one day and one night. But what if the legend was wrong? What if Atlantis was swallowed up by the enigma that is the Bermuda? Academics believe that this utopian kingdom formally covered an entire continent off the Bahamas before being engulfed by the Bermuda Triangle. Many readings regarding Atlantis were recorded between 1924 and 1944 by an American psychic by the name of Edgar Case, who claimed to be able to channel information about the lost metropolis. The Bahamas Bank, according to him, were the last piece of Atlantis to sink. A trail of energy crystals previously used to power the city was located here. He said that these electromagnetic energies were capable of interfering with the electronic systems of ships and aircrafts and making them disappear. Off the shore of the Bahama Islands, in the western part of the North Atlantic, divers found steps, walkways, walls, and even pyramids deep down into the ocean. In a series of expeditions that started in 1968, professional diver Dr. Ray Brown, a nautiropathic practitioner from Mesa, found what he believed to be an underwater Atlantean metropolis in the region known as the Bermuda Triangle. He and his men were looking for sunken Spanish galleons nearby Bimini in the hopes of discovering hidden wealth. On one of the many dives, Brown and four other divers found themselves trapped in an incredibly strong tropical storm that tore apart their boat and mixed up the sand on the ocean floor. They consequently came across the ruins of a sizable underwater metropolis. When Brown glanced up at one point, he saw the sunshine piercing the water and shining on what appeared to be a massive pyramid constructed of extremely polished stone. Its surface was so smooth that it resembled a mirror. He discovered that it was constructed from a blue stone that resembled lapis lazuli upon closer inspection. Lapis lazuli is thought to defend against psychic attacks, bring about profound calm and harmony, and expose inner truths, honesty, and compassion. It also promotes self-awareness and self-expression. Lapis lazuli is revered as the wisdom stone because of its healing properties. With its strikingly beautiful blue coloring, it was a favorite of the Egyptian pharaohs thousands of years ago. 
Brown spotted an opening into the blue shining chamber, and once inside, he discovered himself in a square room with a peaked ceiling. A two-inch diameter, gold-colored metallic rod with a pedestal underneath it had upward-facing metallic hands hung straight down from the ceiling. A crystal sphere in flawless shape was in their hands. There were seven extremely sizable stone chairs circling the pedestal. Brown realized he was running out of breath and that his time was running out. He attempted to move the golden rod but was unable, but he was able to get a hold of the crystal sphere. He may have sensed a menacing presence in the chamber at the same moment and heard a voice arguing him to go and never come back. Heeding the advice, he never went back to the spot where he had discovered it. But, regrettably, the other four divers did, and one by one, they drowned. Did Brown's work prove the existence of Atlantis? Not only that, did it prove a connection between the Lost City and the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle? Could the very existence of the Enigma Metropolis, the Bahamas Bank, according to him, were the last piece of Atlantis to sink? A trail of energy crystals previously used to power the city was located here. He said that these electromagnetic energies were capable of interfering with the electronic systems of ships and aircrafts and making them disappear. Off the shore of the Bahama Islands, in the western part of the North Atlantic, divers found steps, walkways, walls, and even pyramids deep down into the ocean. In a series of expeditions that started in 1968, professional diver Dr. Ray Brown, a nauteropathic practitioner from Mesa, found what he believed to be an underwater Atlantean metropolis in the region known as the Bermuda Triangle. He and his men were looking for sunken Spanish galleons nearby Bimini in the hopes of discovering hidden wealth. On one of the many dives, Brown and four other divers found themselves trapped in an incredibly strong tropical storm that tore apart their boat and mixed up the sand on the ocean floor. They consequently came across the ruins of a sizable underwater metropolis. When Brown glanced up at one point, he saw the sunshine piercing the water and shining on what appeared to be a massive pyramid constructed of extremely polished stone. Its surface was so smooth that it resembled a mirror. He discovered that it was constructed from a blue stone that resembled lapis lazuli upon closer inspection. Lapis lazuli is thought to defend against psychic attacks, bring about profound calm and harmony, and expose inner truths, honesty, and compassion. It also promotes self-awareness and self-expression. Lapis lazuli is revered as the wisdom stone because of its healing properties. With its strikingly beautiful blue coloring, it was a favorite of the Egyptian pharaohs thousands of years ago. Brown spotted an opening into the blue shining chamber, and once inside, he discovered himself in a square room with a peaked ceiling. A two-inch diameter, gold-colored metallic rod with a pedestal of awareness and self-expression. Lapis lazuli is revered as the wisdom stone because of its healing properties. With its strikingly beautiful blue coloring, it was a favorite of the Egyptian pharaohs thousands of years ago. Brown spotted an opening into the blue shining chamber, and once inside, he discovered himself in a square room with a peaked ceiling. A two-inch diameter, gold-colored metallic rod with a pedestal underneath it had upward-facing metallic hands hung straight down the Bermuda Triangle. Several academics believe that this utopian kingdom formally covered an entire continent off the Bahamas before being engulfed by the Bermuda Triangle. 
Many readings regarding Atlantis were recorded between 1924 and 1944 by an American psychic by the name of Edgar Case, who claimed to be able to channel information about the lost metropolis. The Bahamas Bank, according to him, were the last piece of Atlantis to sink. A trail of energy crystals previously used to power the city was located here. He said that these electromagnetic energies were capable of interfering with the electronic systems of ships and aircrafts and making them disappear. Off the shore of the Bahama Islands, in the western part of the North Atlantic, divers found steps, walkways, walls, and even pyramids deep down into the ocean. In a series of expeditions that started in 1968, professional diver Dr. Ray Brown, a nauteropathic practitioner from Mesa, found what he believed to be an underwater Atlantean metropolis in the region known as the Bermuda Triangle. He and his men were looking for sunken Spanish galleons nearby Bimini in the hopes of discovering hidden wealth. On one of the many dives, Brown and four other divers found themselves trapped in an incredibly strong tropical storm that tore apart their boat and mixed up the sand on the ocean floor. They consequently came across the ruins of a sizable underwater metropolis. When Brown glanced up at one point, he saw the sunshine piercing the water and shining on what appeared to be a massive pyramid constructed of extremely polished stone. Its surface was so smooth that it resembled a mirror. He discovered that it was constructed from a blue stone that resembled lapis lazuli upon closer inspection. Lapis lazuli is thought to defend against psychic attacks, bring about profound calm and harmony, and expose inner truths, honesty, and compassion. It also promotes self-awareness and self-expression. Lapis lazuli is revered as the wisdom stone because of its healing properties. With its strikingly beautiful blue coloring, it was a favorite of the Egyptian pharaohs thousands of years ago. Brown spotted an opening into the blue stone <laughs> chamber, and once inside, he discovered himself in a square room with a pink <laughs> ceiling. A two-inch diameter, gold-colored metallic rod with a pedestal underneath it had upward-facing metallic hands hung straight down from the ceiling. A crystal sphere in flawless shape was in their hands. There were seven extremely sizable stone chairs circling the pedestal. Brown realized he was running out of breath and that his time was running out. He attempted to move the golden rod but was unable, but he was able to get a hold of the crystal sphere. He may have sensed a menacing presence in the chamber at the same moment and heard a voice arguing him to go and never come back. Heeding the advice, he never went back to the spot where he had discovered it. But regrettably, the other four divers did. And one by one, they drowned. Did Brown's work prove the existence of Atlantis? Not only that, did it prove a connection between the lost city and the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle? Could the very existence of the Enigma have spawned from the greed and eventual punishment of the Atlanteans? He it says he neglected to tell you that the search and these mysterious crystal pyramid hairstyles in ancient Egypt were one of the many ways the Egyptians distinguished themselves as a distinctively African civilization. Of the numerous hairstyles donned by the men of Kemet, the most popular by far was the short twist. Egyptologists, for obvious reasons, have often speculated that this hairstyle was a wig emulating Kushite hair, but this has never been substantiated by any evidence.
In reality, it is well known that this is a popular hairstyle that permeated continental Africa. Bronze artworks from Benin illustrate the commonality of the short twist being worn in similar concentric rows on various depictions. A variation of this style can be found amongst the Afar men of Ethiopia, where the twists are also substantially lengthened. This style is also reflected in Kemetic artwork, but by far the most notable example of this style was captured contemporaneously by Roman artists in exquisite bronze busts, portraying the distinctly African appearance of the ancient Egyptians. Hairstyles in ancient Egypt were one of the many ways the Egyptians distinguished themselves as a distinctively African civilization. Of the numerous hairstyles donned by the men of Kemet, the most popular by far was the short twist. Egyptologists, for obvious reasons, have often speculated that this hairstyle was a wig, emulating Kushite hair, but this has never been substantiated by any evidence. In reality, it Six million jewels. hairstyles in ancient Egypt were one of the many ways the Egyptians distinguished themselves as a distinctively African civilization. Of the numerous hairstyles donned by the men of Kemet, the most popular by far was the short twist. Egyptologists, for obvious reasons, have often speculated that this hairstyle was a wig, emulating Kushite hair. But this has never been substantiated by any evidence. In reality, it is well known that this is a popular hairstyle that permeated continental Africa. Bronze artworks from Benin illustrate the commonality of the short twist being worn in similar concentric rows on various depictions. A variation of this style can be found amongst the Afar men of Ethiopia, where the twists are also substantially lengthened. This style is also reflected in Kemetic artwork, but by far the most notable it's example cool. of this style... Six million Jews died. They write and write and write about it. They make movies about it. Nobody is supposed to forget about it in the world. Everybody is reminded every day how this atrocity happened to them. But we, you know, the Bengal famine killed over three and a half million people in a matter of three months because they took away all the food for the World War II effort. And this is not one. From 1800 to 1860, in 60 years' time, an industry which has lasted for 10,000 years, they destroyed and left millions of people to die. It's recorded in British history and, uh, you know, in what they have written, not what we have written, because we write nothing. If we get our breakfast tomorrow, we're just happy. <laughs> There's a big problem in India because we don't have a sense of history. We should not resent our history and develop uh, animosity towards somebody. But at the same time, it's stupid to forget everything and go on as if nothing happened. That would be absolutely stupid. That's a problem with us. See, in this country, what has happened in those 200 years? It is not a small thing. Six million Jews died. They write and write and write about it. I am your mother. Is it possible that in the future we'll be able to see past 13.8 billion years? Not with light. Not with because light. Because what the picture is that before, it actually was released 380,000 years after the Big Bang. It's a very precise number. You might say, how do you know that? Well, before that time, the universe was so hot that atoms couldn't form. So you had a soup of electrically charged particles. It was just too hot for electrons to go into orbit around nuclei. So the universe was opaque to light. So you just couldn't... It's like one, almost like a big glowing star, if you like. And then when it was expanding, oh, yeah. it cooled past the point where the atoms could form. And at that point, it becomes transparent, really almost instantly in a cosmic timescale. And so the light could then travel in straight lines through the universe. And we can see that light. So we see the light from that time. But further back than that, it's oh, opaque, so you can't see past that.
Is it possible that in the future we'll be able to see past 13.8 billion years? Not with light. Not with because light. Because the, the picture is that before, it's, it's actually was released 380,000 years after the Big Bang. Very precise number. You might say, how do you know that? Well, before that time, the universe was so hot that atoms couldn't form. So you had a soup of electrically charged particles. It was just too hot for electrons to go into orbit around nuclei. So the universe was opaque to light. So you just couldn't... It's like one... Almost like a big glowing star, if you like. And then when it was expanding, it cooled past hey, the point where the atoms could stay. form. And at that point, it becomes transparent. Really, almost instantly, in a cosmic timescale. And so the light could then travel in straight lines through the universe. And we can hey. see that light. So we see the light from that time, but further back than that. It's Wait, no, light, sit. So you can't see sit. past that. Stay. Is it possible that in the future we'll be able to see past 13.8 billion years? Not with light. No, because light. what the, the picture is that before, it's, it's actually was released 380,000 years after the Big Bang. It's a very precise number. You might say, how do you know that? Well, before that time, the universe was so hot that atoms couldn't form. So you had a soup of electrically charged particles. It was just too hot for electrons to go into orbit around nuclei. So the universe was opaque to light. So you just couldn't, it's like one, almost like a big glowing star. And then when it was expanding, it cooled past the point where the atoms could form. And at that point, it becomes transparent, really almost instantly in a cosmic timescale. And so the light could then travel in straight lines through the universe. And we can see that light. So we see the light from that time. But further back than that, it's opaque. So you can't see past that. Is it possible that in the future we'll be able to see past 13.8 billion years? Not with light. Not with because light. what the, the picture is that before councils that were formed, like the one is the Council of Nicaea, who then started analyzing a lot of these copied and recopied and recopied and recopied and recopied texts and started analyzing which ones to keep and which ones to keep out, which ones to keep. And they were thinking, let's make this into an actual canonized book. We'll take this and put that in here. We'll take this. This one, no, that talks about aliens. We don't want these. We don't want the book of Enoch in here because he's talking about aliens. Let's leave that one out. We don't want the myth of Adapa in here because he's talking about aliens. We don't want that in here. That's the book of Adam. We don't want that in here. So you have all these apocryphal texts that were kept out. And the Council of Nicaea coordinate and create this, this hodgepodge of a, of a, of a book. Basically, it's content who then started analyzing a lot of these copied and recopied and recopied and recopied and recopied texts and started analyzing which ones to keep and which ones to keep out. Which ones to keep, they were thinking, let's make this into an actual canonized book. We'll take this and put that in here. If you want to know the identity of Gog and Magog, back this video, this is part two. I showed you in part one that Gog is a person and Magog is a place. Figure 38, set your face towards Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Y'all, we learned that Gog is the ruler or chief prince of three provinces, Meshach, Tubal, and Magog. Now, most people put these three nations in Russia, but I'm going to show you why they are dead wrong. Now, Meshach and Tubal are the sons of Japheth, which is the third son of Noah. These sons of Japheth, Meshach and Tubal, 
did not Wait. migrate into Russia, but they migrated into Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. If you need to, pause the video right here, because the sons of Japheth, Magog, Meshach, and Tubal were all located in Asia Minor or Turkey. So if Gog is the chief prince of Meshach, Tubal, and Magog, that means he is the chief prince or ruler of Turkey. Y'all, this traded the game. If you want to know why Gog is the ruler of Turkey, follow for part two. If you want to know the identity of Gog and Magog, watch this video, this is part 2. I showed you in part 1 that Gog is a person and Magog is a place. Ezekiel 38, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Y'all, we learned that Gog is the ruler or chief prince of three provinces, Meshach, Tubal, and Magog. Now, most people put these three nations into Russia, but I'm going to show you why they are dead wrong. Now, Meshach and Tubal are the sons of Japheth, which is the third son of Noah. These sons of Japheth, Meshach and Tubal, did not migrate into Russia, but they migrated into Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. If you need to, pause the video right here, because the sons of Japheth, Magog, Meshach, and Tubal were all located in Asia Minor or Turkey. So if Gog is the chief prince of Meshach, Tubal, and Magog, that means he is the chief prince or ruler of Turkey. Y'all, this changes the game. If you want to know why Gog is the ruler of Turkey, follow for part two. If you want to know the identity of Gog and Magog, watch this video, this is part two. I showed you in part one that Gog... When you mix sawdust and water together and freeze it down, you create something called Pycrete. Pycrete is so strong that the government at one point was considering making an aircraft carrier out of it. So I figured it would be a great material to experiment with to build the ultimate winter survival shelter that just happens to be bulletproof. The first step is to combine the ingredients. For this mixture, 14% of the weight will be sawdust and the other 86% will be water. Be sure to spray your buckets with some type of lubricant so you can easily get the ice out. The second step is to let the mixture freeze. I let these buckets sit outside in minus 35 weather for a couple weeks to be sure they were frozen solid. We then took all 36 buckets of pie tree out into the forest and we started assembling the shelter. We stacked them up three cubes high all around. Then we filled in the gaps with some sawdust mortar. We cut down some dead trees, made a roof, set up our stove inside to keep nice and warm. Now we're going to spend the night in here and tomorrow we're going to see how bulletproof it is. Stay tuned for part two. You mix sawdust and water together and freeze it down, you create something freeze called pycrete. Pycrete is so strong that the government at one point was considering making an aircraft carrier out of it. So I figured it would be a great material to experiment with to build the ultimate winter survival shelter that just happens to be bulletproof. The first step is to combine the ingredients. For this mixture, 14% of the weight will be sawdust and the other 86% will be water. Be sure to spray your buckets with some type of lubricant so you can easily get the ISO. The second step is to let the mixture freeze. I let these buckets sit outside in minus 35 weather for a couple weeks to be sure they were frozen solid. We then took all 36 buckets of pycrete out into the forest and we started assembling the shelter. We stacked them up three cubes high all around. Then we filled in the gaps with some sawdust mortar. We cut down some dead trees, made a roof, set up our stove inside to keep nice and warm. Now we're going to spend the night in here and tomorrow we're going to see how bulletproof it is. Stay tuned for part two. You mix sawdust and water together and freeze it down. You create Pretty something cool. called pycrete. Pycrete is Canadian prepper. <laughs> the tomb of Tutankhamun still remains the world's greatest ever archaeological find. There was 5,000 priceless items found within the tomb. Amongst the items were these chairs. Each item was carefully engraved 
least. To this date, it is the only tomb to ever have been found fully complete. What you're looking at here is the gilded shrine of the Knopic Jars. The Knopic Jars, which you see here, are made of alabaster. And these jars contain the organs of the pharaoh or deceased. This is also one of the chairs found within the tomb, known as the Victory Chair. But perhaps what's more interesting that goes with this chair is the footrest. You see these figures being depicted where the pharaoh placed his feet to show that his enemies have been eaten. Unfortunately, I couldn't film all the treasures of Tutankhamun, as you're not allowed to, but I did manage to sneak a very quick shot of the Golden Mask. The tomb of Tutankhamun still remains the world's greatest ever archaeological find. There was 5,000 priceless items found within the tomb. Amongst the items were these chairs. Each item was carefully engraved in gold leaf. To this date, it is the only tomb to ever have been found fully complete. What you're looking at here is the gilded shrine of the Knopic Jars. The Knopic Jars, which you see here, are made of alabaster. And these jars contain the organs of the pharaoh or deceased. This is also one of the chairs found within the tomb, known as the Victory Chair. But perhaps what's more interesting that goes with this chair is the footrest. You see these figures being depicted where the pharaoh placed his feet to show that his enemies have been eaten. Unfortunately, I couldn't film all the treasures of Tutankhamun, as you're not allowed to. But I did manage to sneak a very quick shot of the Golden Mask. The tomb of Tutankhamun still remains the world's great. Close up of some of the carvings on the Cortinacchio sarcophagus. It was the sarcophagus of a high-ranking Roman soldier who served under Marcus Aurelius. The ceiling of the 2,000-year-old hypostyle called the Temple of Hathor in Vendera, Egypt. Ancient sense of humor. Greek leaves flimsily inscribed with textiles, meaning in Greek cash, 1,600 years old. Old polyhedron inscribed with letters of the Greek alphabet, possibly used for fortune telling. Roman, possibly Greek, 2nd to 3rd century AD. Golden signet ring of the priest's enemy. Egypt, 26 dynasty, 664 to 525 BC. Harding of a woolly mammoth in the excavations collected from Bogomir's cave, 33,000 BC. The hint of the dagger, late Neolithic dagger period, circa 1900 to 1700 BC, Denmark, 29.5 cm long and barely 2 cm thick. It is widely recognized as the most beautiful example of Neolithic flint mappings in Denmark. Those up of some of the carvings on the Cortinaccio sarcophagus. It was the sarcophagus of a high-ranking Roman soldier who served under Marcus Aurelius. The ceiling of the 2,000-year-old hypostyle called the Temple of Hathor in Vendera, Egypt. Ancient sense of humor. Greek leaves flimboid, inscribed with textiles, meaning in Greek cash, 1600 years old. Old polyhedron inscribed with letters of the Greek alphabet, possibly used for fortune telling. Roman, possibly Greek, 2nd to 3rd century AD. Golden signet ring of the priest's enemy. Egypt, 26 dynasty, 664 to 525 BC. Carving of a woolly mammoth in the excavations collected from Bogomir's cave, 33,000 BC. The hint of the dagger, late Neolithic dagger period, circa 1900 to 1700 BC, Denmark, 29.5 cm long and there. Suppose the difference between humans and chimps is as small as a half a percent DNA in the intelligence vector, whatever that vector is. Suppose it is that small. What do you say? Well, what do you mean? We have the Hubble telescope and poetry and philosophy, and they stick a twig in a hole to get termites out. 
maybe the difference between those is small. You don't want to think that way, but imagine it. So now let's imagine an alien who is 5% along that same vector beyond us that we are beyond the chimp. What would we look like to them? No reason for me to think that we wouldn't look any different to them than chimps look to us. And that's a half a percent. So now imagine 5%, 10%. Their simplest expression of an idea would transcend our smartest capacity to comprehend Suppose the difference between humans and chimps is as small as a half a percent DNA in the intelligence vector, whatever that vector is. Suppose it is that small. What do you say? Well, what do you mean? We have the Hubble telescope and poetry and philosophy, and they stick a twig in a hole to get termites out. Maybe the difference between those is small. You don't want to think that way, but imagine it. So now let's imagine an alien. Archaeologists have routinely ignored all pictorial evidence and numerous eyewitness descriptions of the ancient Egyptians in favor of politically motivated choices regarding phenotype and skin color. This reconstruction of King Tut does what is seemingly obvious and gives the portraits and artworks primary authority in terms of his appearance. They exhibit a previously unseen continuity and consistency between multiple representations and seem to show an affinity to the remains of his mummy. We already know what he looked like as King Tut's artworks are all phenotypically consistent with modern Nilotic East Africans. This is something also made evident by his mummy, which is almost stereotypically Nilotic. Forensic facial reconstruction has been proven to be inaccurate and agenda-driven in isolation. So this, in actuality, is the most scientifically sound reproduction of the boy king. Share this with someone who'd benefit. Subscribe for more of the same. King Mono. Archaeologists have routinely ignored all pictorial evidence and numerous eyewitness descriptions of the ancient Egyptians in favor of politically motivated choices regarding phenotype and skin color. This reconstruction of King Tut does what is seemingly obvious and gives the portraits and artworks primary authority in terms of his appearance. They exhibit a previously unseen continuity and consistency between multiple representations and seem to show an affinity to the remains of his mummy. We already know what he looked like as King Tut's artworks are all phenotypically consistent with modern Nilotic East Africans. This is something also made evident by his mummy, which is almost stereotypically Nilotic. Forensic facial reconstruction has been proven to be inaccurate and agenda-driven in isolation. So this, in actuality, is the most scientifically sound reproduction of the boy king. Share this with someone who'd benefit. Subscribe for more of the same. Here's some freaky facts about the Victorian era. First off, yes, fashionable men and women did have tattoos. Sometimes a lot of them. In fact, it was kind of a royal obsession. You can see Sir Nicholas II's dragon tattoo here, and his cousin George V also had one. And let's not even talk about how nipple piercings were a thing. The Victorian period was also the height of Egyptomania, which led to some pretty weird behavior. Rich people visiting Egypt would actually buy mummies to bring back home as souvenirs. They then have mummy unwrapping parties with all their friends. Victorians loved the shade of green. There was just one problem. It was made from arsenic. It was widely used in dresses, wallpaper, and even candy coatings. And they really only stopped when they realized people were dying by the pound. Victorians sent valentines just like we do. But they also had vinegar valentines, which were basically insult cards they sent to people they hated. Huge crinolines were all the rage. But they were also extremely flammable in ballrooms with like candlelight. Writer Oscar Wilde's half-sisters actually died this way, along with thousands of other women. And the Thames was so full of sewage, there was a great stink of 
Madam Woman did have tattoos. Sometimes a lot of them. In fact, it was kind of a royal obsession. You can see Sir Nicholas II's dragon tattoo here, and his cousin George V also had one. And let's not even talk about how nipple piercings were a thing. The Victorian period was also the height of Egyptomania, which led to some pretty weird behavior. Rich people visiting Egypt would actually buy mummies to bring back home as souvenirs. They then had mummy unwrapping parties with all their friends. Victorians loved this shade of green. There was just one problem. It was made from arsenic. It was widely used in dresses, wallpaper, and even candy coatings. And they really only... It's the same divide-and-conquer tactic that's been going on for eons. We also implement that in our educational system, whether it's religious education, scientific education. The reason why I love spirituality is because it takes a look at both. Mm. It takes okay. a look and says, you know what? There is only one divine spirit. There's only one consciousness. And the quantum physics explains how it works. When you look okay. at the quantum mechanics and quantum physics, you begin to see what's happening behind the veil. Okay. You begin to realize, oh, wow, this is pretty interesting. What we can see here is that the spirituality that is being explained by quantum physics and quantum mechanics, and it also is explaining our, our, our state of reality that we're experiencing in this third dimension, in this corporeal body. People don't have the time to dig into that, to research that, to study and learn it. That's why I do a lot of workshops and classes on that exact topic, to teach people that you're spiritual. And let me show you the science behind the spirituality. Let me show you how it works. It's the same divide-and-conquer tactic that's been going on for eons. Y'all, this is the truth about Mystery Babylon the Great, according to the book of Revelation. Revelation describes a woman sitting on a beast with ten horns and seven heads. This woman is described as wearing purple, scarlet, and is adorned in many precious stones. She is said to hold a cup in her hand filled with the abominations of the earth. She even has a name written on her forehead which says Babylon the Great, Mother of Abominations. Now, this is important to note that this is one of the few times in the Bible where the word says that this is a full-blown mystery. However, the purple and scarlet she wears is an indication from other verses that she is of royal descent. And the gold and the precious stone she wears is an indication of her economic power. Y'all, remember that golden cup? She is literally intoxicated off the blood of the saints. And what makes things even more interesting is the angel says this woman is representing a city. It is a rich, royal city that has persecuted God's people throughout history. And guess what? You're going to be mad at me, but it is not the city of Rome. Fall off apart too. Now, this is the truth about Mystery Babylon the Great, according to the book of Revelation. Revelation describes a woman sitting on a beast with ten horns and seven heads. This woman is described as wearing purple, scarlet, and is adorned in many precious stones. She is said to hold a cup in her hand filled with the abominations of the earth. She even has a name written on her forehead which says Babylon the Great, Mother of Abominations. Now, this is important to note that this is one of the few times in the Bible where the word says that this is a full-blown mystery. However, the purple and scarlet she wears is an indication from other verses that she is of royal descent. And the gold and the precious stone she wears is an indication of her economic power. Y'all, remember that golden cup? She is literally intoxicated off the blood of the saints. And what makes things even more interesting is the angel says this woman is representing a city. It is a rich, royal city that has persecuted God's people throughout history. And guess what? You're going to be mad at me, but it is not the city of Rome. Fall off apart too. My passenger is getting arrested. No, I'll keep recording. Thank you. It's my right. I, I will look. You're a police officer on duty. I can record you. I can keep recording you. We're recording you. I'm sitting in my car holding my phone. What is the law? What are you, what are you arresting me for? I'm sitting here in my car. I'm just recording in case anything happens. 
I'm surrounded by five police officers. I'm scared right now. I'm not being a jerk. I want to. I'm recording it in case anything happens. They're not searching my car. You're not searching my car. Bring the canine. I don't care, man. Like, I know my rights. Hey, I hope so. I know. I know what the law is. I know the law. I'm an attorney, so I would hope I know the law. And an Uber driver. And here, man. Do you want my bar card? My passenger is getting arrested. No, I'll keep recording. Thank you. It's my right. I, I will look. You're a police officer on duty. I can record you. I can keep recording you. For recording you? I'm sitting in my car holding my phone. What is the law? What are you arresting me for? I'm sitting here in my car. I'm just recording in case. My passenger is getting arrested. Exclamation point. I found a strange circle of logs at the base of some cliffs on Google Earth. So, I got my girlfriend and my brother to join me on this adventure to see what this was. My brother here. This hike would be pretty difficult, and there wasn't really a set trail. We just kind of guessed as we went along. As we got closer to our destination, we saw a ruin. It's probably a granary. Nearby we saw some broken pottery. Someone made this pottery hundreds or even a thousand years ago. Up the canyon we could finally see that circle of logs. When we first saw it, it was clear that this was also a ruin and not just some random circle. This was probably someone's home or possibly even a kiva. I found a strange circle of logs at the base of some cliffs on Google Earth. So, I got my girlfriend and my brother to join me on this adventure to see what this was. My brother here. This hike would be pretty difficult, and there wasn't really a set trail. We just kind of guessed as we went along. As we got closer to our destination, we saw a ruin. It's probably a granary. Nearby we saw some broken pottery. Someone made this pottery hundreds or even a thousand years ago. Up the canyon we could finally see that circle of logs. When we first saw it, it was clear that this was also a ruin and not just some random circle. This was probably someone's home or possibly even a kiva. I found a strange circle of logs at the base of some... That most men live lives of quiet desperation. It's one of my favorite quotes ever because it's true. It's not been that guy. You just li you're just in this world where you just can't wait to just run away. And how do people get stuck there? Bills. Bills, like financial yeah. bills? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> bills and commitment. You, you have an apartment you have to pay for. You have a car you leased. You have a wife that you have to feed. You have a child you have to raise. You have to. Yeah. You have your mortgage. You have your this, you have your that. And that's where it all comes from. The way you can change is you have to put aside enough money to give yourself a window. And then you have to have a plan. And you have to spend all your waking hours outside of whatever shit job you do planning your escape. And you have to come to the realization very clearly that you fucked up and you got yourself stuck. 
So whatever you're doing, you have to do it like your life depends on it. Whatever time that you have, you have to attack like you're trying to save the world. That most men live lives of quiet desperation. It's one of my favorite quotes ever because it's... We came to this site, at least I did for the first time a few years back, and the trip was a midnight boat ride in. And I happened to come across this carving here, which is amazing. And it made me ecstatic because this symbol, it shows the happy the deity of the Nile and so much fertility encircled by a serpent. Philip Carson on Secrets of the University. Of the, on the only island of Hundao, Texas, for people, I'm sorry. 
Scopes was taught by the Temple Mysteries and the Pastor of Menti, where he received the key to perpetual life. This is where he got the knowledge of actually how to transfer his consciousness into new bodies. Perpetual life. Okay, this is how he became quote unquote immortal through this through this method, which became known later as the fountain of youth. When Atlantis sank and he and his followers migrated to the land of Kem, now Kem is ancient Egypt, what was called Egypt. The land of Kem is the land of the black people. And founded the Egyptian civilization. Over the halls of Atlantis, he erected a great pyramid of Giza, and the tablets uh, contained, I'm sorry, and posted one of his secret chambers, the, the, uh, the then archaic records of ancient Atlantis, the Emerald Tablets, contained a history of Atlantis and its mechanical and scientific achievements. The manner of the books above the great, above the Grand Gallery, the Great Pyramid, two years ago, they discovered a hidden chamber. Scientists, uh, this researchers, they did what they call a muon scan, and this chamber is actually there, exactly where he said it would be. And uh, it made international news. If you look it up, hidden chamber above Grand Gallery in the Great Pyramid of Giza. Okay, they found it. I always love it when modern technology backs up ancient tablets. The Emerald Tablets, the Emerald Tablets contain a history of Atlantis, its mechanical constitution, and the manner it sank below Atlantis to the, the Atlantean waves. The colonization of ancient Egypt and even to the construction of the Great Pyramid, but their real significance that they contain the keys to the unfoldment of the heavens and the earth and the divine soul of man. These tablets were so written that the world responds to the tune talk thought waves releasing the associated mental vibrations with an exhilarating rhythm in the mind of the reader. Thus, the magical wisdom of the author is revealed. A casual read will immediately give glimpses and thrilling beauty of its rhythm. The truth seeker who is willing to give them more intense study will open avenues to the most intrinsic wisdom. Uh, wisdom of unutterable majesty, uh, majesty and beauty. So, basically, it's a phenomenal read. I mean, if you read it, you know, I've read it now 180 times. Uh, and the more you read, the more you begin to understand and realize, the more you begin to see. It's not something you want to read just once. They're very, very, very powerful. Information that you can get about the location of Jesus when he escaped, when he did, well, escaped, but I call it escape, but when he was missing from the modern day Bible, from the age of 12 to 32, you can get it from the Holy, the Gospel of the Holy Twelve. Now it has to be this cover. There's two books out there that have the same name or similar name. This is the Gospel of the Holy Twelve. I found this one for $650 uh, online on Amazon. Why? Because they don't want you to read the scripture, so it's not in publication. It's very hard to find. Sometimes you get lucky and somebody will put a use with it for like 50 or 60 bucks. 150 bucks I've seen before. This one was in pristine condition, so I paid $650 for it. When I look at it and read it, I actually use gloves. I only want my, my acid from my fingerprints to get on this book. Okay? But well, this is a powerful book because once I read this book, it talks about only where he disappeared to. He went to Egypt uh, and he actually lived in Coptic Cairo to learn the Egyptian mysteries from who? This guy. That's where he went. Now, he, he was the son of Thoth, and I really, really think now looking back, he probably was the son of Thoth. Um, that's where he went. So he learned the Egyptian mysteries. Then he left here, went to Quebec, and he went to India to learn mystic arts and Reiki healing with his hands, teaching reincarnation the whole way back. In the Sinai Bible, no crucifixion never existed. Now they found the uh, the book of Jesus' wife, which is the book of Yeshua's wife, which is located in the Harvard Library. And he got married. So the 
opening has been farce. You guys, not you guys directly, but you know, people have been tricked, unfortunately. Um, was he an amazing person? Yes. Was he amazing, an amazing mission and spirit? Yes. I believe that. Was he a real flesh and blood person that actually walked on this planet? In my personal opinion, it wasn't just about this moving the sun and stars on. I think he really was a person that was here based on the fact that they turned his house into a shrine where he, where he was. And I went and visited that house and had pictures of it. So I believe he was a real true person and he was taught in the Egyptian This is why in the New Testament of the Bible, if you read my book, you find out his words mimic identically what those were saying nearly 6,000 years prior. So which came first, a chicken or the king? He's literally quoting Philip in the New Testament of the Bible. Anywhere you see Jesus speaking, you can find every single verse in the Emerald Tablets. Right, that was mind-blowing for you and me. Okay, um, give me Jesus. Jesus. Buried biblical mysteries of the Holy Land. I don't know, that sounds a little heavy. Hmm. Babylon City at the center of the world, the concise history of Babylonia. 2539 BC. I have watched half of that already. The giant who became Pharaoh. Hmm, it's a short. Giant who became pharaoh. In the early 1900s, John Garstang, a British archaeologist, made a groundbreaking discovery near Gurja, in Upper Egypt, a large mastaba belonging to someone important. Among the finds were relief fragments bearing the name of an unknown pharaoh, Sanak, the first king of the third dynasty and predecessor of Djoser. Inside the tomb, archaeologists found the remains of a man, but something was unusual about them. Upon closer examination, they found that the bones were excessively large. He was 198 centimeters tall, making him 20 centimeters taller than his contemporaries. Even taller than Ramses II, who was only 175 centimeters. Some researchers initially suggested that his impressive size was due to gigantism. However, a new analysis found that he was not suffering from the condition. He was simply a remarkably tall man. In his book, The Making of Egypt, Flinders Petrie noted that Sanic gave a fresh impetus to Kemet and that he was of Sudanese type. South Sudanese people are known to be the tallest men on earth, offering a possible explanation for Sanic's height. Giant who became pharaoh. In the early 1900s, John Garstang, a British archaeologist, made a groundbreaking discovery near Gurja, in Upper Egypt, a large mastaba belonging to someone important. Among the finds were relief fragments bearing the name of an unknown pharaoh, Sanic, the first king of the third dynasty and predecessor of Djoser. Inside the, the Illuminati is an extension of... Giant who became the Illuminati is an extension of the mystery schools, which started way before Egypt even existed. It was from the land of Kem. And the Emerald Tablet, it starts on Atlantis, the actual island itself. Thoth's dad sends him to the land of Kem. He gets in a ship. When he gets out, there's barbarians. His job is to bring them to a higher level of civilization. From there, when they get to a certain level, he opens up the mystery schools, and he begins to teach these people the higher things, dimensions, technology, quantum physics, all the stuff that they need to know, you know, the universe and everything else, how the things work, even to a higher level, talking about even manipulating the ether through vibrations and thought. So these mystery schools maintained for many, many years, and they were for invitation only, but they were for enlightenment of the race. Over time, as some of these gods left and disappeared, like so, for example, after he was gone, he became a deity, and many years after he left. And then all of a sudden, the pyramid priests figured out, oh, wow, we can use this as a control method. 
So that was one of the beginning of the of one of the very first six. Illuminati is an extension of the mystery schools, which started way before Egypt even existed. It was from the land of Kem. And the Emerald Tablet, it starts on Atlantis, the actual island itself. Thoth's dad sends him to the land of Kem. He gets in a ship. When he gets out, this barbarians. His job is to bring them to a higher level of civilization. From there, when they get to a certain level, he opens up the mystery schools, and he begins to teach these people the higher things, dimensions, technology. Do you see it? How about now? Okay, how about now do you see it? I saw these incredible ruins when I was looking down this canyon, and I knew I just had to hike to it. I found out that you need a permit to hike in this canyon, so I went and got a permit and then came back to begin my hike. On the way down, there are a lot more ruins to be seen, but my main objective was seeing the ruin that's on the cliff edge. Oh, holy cow. How steep that is. Oh my goodness, let's go over there. Right there, do it. Oh my goodness, this is crazy. Ooh, this is scary. Check out this petroglyph that is directly above the ruin. Is it a symbol for something? I don't know. I don't have any idea on what this structure would have been used for, but what do you think? Do you see it? How about now? Okay, how about now do you see it? I saw these incredible ruins when I was looking down this canyon, and I knew I just had to hike to it. I found out that you need a permit to hike in this canyon. Market wizard Larry Benedict is one of the most successful traders you'll ever meet, but he doesn't invest the traditional way. His approach has nothing to do with buy and hold, and it's the opposite of what a broker would tell you. In short, it's a way to trade just one ticker and potentially make all the money you need, no matter what happens in the stock market. I know, sounds... Did these mysterious crystal pyramids cause the Bermuda Triangle disappearances? In 2012, American and French research teams that were studying the Bermuda Triangle noticed a mysterious underground structure rising from the seabed. They soon realized it was a pyramid, 300 meters wide and 200 meters tall, larger than the Great Pyramids of Egypt, and interestingly enough, was made of crystal. The semi-translucent crystal pyramid had two large holes at the top of it, moving seawater through it at high speeds, manipulating the currents of the sea. If legend has anything to do with it, crystal technology was known to be a big part of the Atlantean myth, talking about how it was key to unlimited energy that powered the Atlantean society. Even though you can watch the full video by clicking on the link in the description below, people still speculate that the Bermuda Triangle disappearances were caused by sea monsters and faulty equipment. But after seeing what the crystal pyramids can do, scientists are now asking the question. Did these mysterious crystal pyramids caused the Bermuda Triangle disappearances? In 2012, American and French research teams that were studying the Bermuda Triangle noticed a mysterious underground structure rising from the seabed. They soon realized it was a pyramid, 300 meters wide and 200 meters tall, larger than the Great Pyramids of Egypt, and interestingly enough, was made of crystal. The semi-translucent crystal pyramid had two large holes at the top of it, moving seawater through it at high speeds, manipulating the currents of the sea. If legend has anything to do with it, crystal technology was known to be a big part of the Atlantean myth, talking about how it was key to unlimited energy that powered the Atlantean society. Even though you can watch the full video by clicking on the link in the description below, people still speculate that the Bermuda Triangle disappearances were caused by sea monsters and faulty equipment. But after seeing There's what the, the crystal... Full video.
They found this Have lost city under the Bermuda Triangle. at random? Or a plane flying off the radar, never to be seen again? How about the hundreds of people missing at sea who have never been found? Have you ever considered that a supernatural force lying in wait in the western part of the North Atlantic Ocean is the cause? Today, we're looking at the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. Atlantic. Bermuda was known as a magical island long before the Bermuda Triangle legend gained popularity. Early seafarers who were alarmed by the sound of wild pigs and cowbirds on the shore gave the island the nickname the Devil's Island. The Bermuda Triangle myth has its earliest roots in Columbus, who recorded a faulty compass, weird lights, and a flash of flame falling into the water in his logbook. Columbus and other sailors who came after him also came into the dangerous area of the sea, now known as the Sargasso Sea. Legends from the past described sailboats that became permanently stuck in a body of calm water, surrounded by seaweed and the wreckage of other ships that had suffered the same fate. At least 50 ships and 20 aircrafts have disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle in the last 500 years, most of them without a trace. There have been no wrecks, no bodies, nothing. It's like they just vanished from existence. Numerous people have disappeared in the allegedly calm waters surrounding the Triangle without making any sort of distress call. In one instance, five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers departed Fort Lauderdale, Florida on a routine two-hour training mission at 2.10 p.m. on the afternoon of December 5, 1945. At 4 o'clock, they had their last radio communication. They were never heard from again. The 27 soldiers in the planes vanished without a trace. The planes vanished as if they had flown to Mars, according to the official Navy reports. So how did the ships and aircraft vanish? What happened? There truly is no explanation for all of these disappearances, but sometimes you have to be open to unconventional thinking in order to find an unconventional answer. Sometimes, you have to be open to the fact that the mystery goes deeper than you could have ever imagined. I said I heard there's a pyramid under there. The Bermuda Triangle has been blamed for the loss of ships and planes, but in recent years has found itself accused of something much, much bigger. What if the Bermuda Triangle was responsible for the disappearance of the lost city of Atlantis? <laughs> For those who don't know, the lost city of Atlantis is one of the oldest and biggest mysteries in the world. Atlantis was originally referenced more than 2,300 years ago by the Greek philosopher Plato, who lived in 300 BCE. Plato described Atlantis as a utopian island kingdom that allegedly existed 9,000 years before his time and inexplicably vanished one day. Wow. According to Plato, a tsunami or earthquake is thought to have caused the city to sink into the ocean. Plato said that the alleged Atlantis was a sizable island close to the Rock of Gibraltar that featured a statue of Poseidon, circular walls, and waterways. In his description of the enigmatic underwater kingdom, for the ocean was at the time navigable. 
or they're laying island larger than Libya and Asia together in front of the mouth of what you Greeks call, as you say, the Pillars of Hercules. And the travelers of that time could cross from it to the other islands, and from the islands to the whole of the continent over against them, which encompasses the veritable ocean. Tertullian, an early Christian author who thought Atlantis had once existed in the Atlantic Ocean, agreed with Plato, saying that the island would be larger than both Libya and Asia today. But what happened to make Atlantis disappear? Well, according to legend, Atlantis once belonged to Poseidon, the Greek sea god who met and married Plato, a young woman native to the island. On the island, Poseidon constructed a city, and on a peak in the middle of the city, he erected a palace for Plato. Poseidon eventually divided the island into ten halves, and gave each of the couple's ten children control over one, with their firstborn, Atlas, having the island named after him. Atlantis was a utopia where no one had to work hard, and where a wide variety of delicious foods were grown. For the island, Poseidon had fashioned a stream of hot and a stream of cold water. It had a magnificent culture with magnificent palaces and temples. Gold, silver, and other precious metals were in great abundance with the rulers. According to legend, the people of Atlantis were so significantly more technologically and scientifically evolved than people of today. They claimed to have found the key to unrestricted energy and power, using crystals to channel their power. The Atlanteans were said to have achieved extraordinary feats, such as flying in spaceships like anti-gravity devices, possessing laser-like weapons, talking computers, and even communicating telepathically. The inhabitants of Atlantis enjoyed a time of unparalleled peace and prosperity. Then, things started to change. The gods started mating with people. The Atlanteans developed a need for more than they already had. They made the decision to invade the nations bordering the Mediterranean. Zeus, incensed by the actions of the Atlanteans, produced an earthquake, or possibly a series of earthquakes, which caused Atlantis to submerge under the ocean over the period of one day and one night. But what if the legend was wrong? What if Atlantis was swallowed up by the enigma that is the Bermuda? Academics believe that this utopian kingdom formally covered an entire continent off the Bahamas before being engulfed by the Bermuda Triangle. Many readings regarding Atlantis were recorded between 1924 and 1944 by an American psychic by the name of Edgar Case, who claimed to be able to channel information about the lost metropolis. The Bahamas Bank, according to him, were the last piece of Atlantis to sink. A trail of energy crystals previously used to power the city was located here. He said that these electromagnetic energies were capable of interfering with the electronic systems of ships and aircrafts and making them disappear. Off the shore of the Bahama Islands, in the western part of the North Atlantic, divers found steps, walkways, walls, and even pyramids deep down into the ocean. In a series of expeditions that started in 1968, professional diver Dr. Ray Brown, a naturopathic practitioner from Mesa, found what he believed to be an underwater Atlantean metropolis in the region known as the Bermuda Triangle. He and his men were looking for sunken Spanish galleons nearby Bimini in the hopes of discovering hidden wealth. 
On one of the many dives, Brown and four other divers found themselves trapped in an incredibly strong tropical storm that tore apart their boat and mixed up the sand on the ocean floor. They consequently came across the ruins of a sizable underwater metropolis. When Brown glanced up at one point, he saw the sunshine piercing the water and shining on what appeared to be a massive pyramid constructed of extremely polished stone. Its surface was so smooth that it resembled a mirror. He discovered that it was constructed from a blue stone that resembled lapis lazuli upon closer inspection. Lapis lazuli is thought to defend against psychic attacks, bring about profound calm and harmony, and expose inner truths, honesty, and compassion. It also promotes self-awareness and self-expression. Lapis lazuli is revered as the wisdom stone because of its healing properties. With its strikingly beautiful blue coloring, it was a favorite of the Egyptian pharaohs thousands of years ago. Brown spotted an opening into the blue shining chamber, and once inside, he discovered himself in a square room with a peaked ceiling. A two-inch diameter, gold-colored metallic rod with a pedestal underneath it had upward-facing metallic hands hung straight down from the ceiling. A crystal sphere in flawless shape was in their hands. There were seven extremely sizable stone chairs circling the pedestal. Brown realized he was running out of breath and that his time was running out. He attempted to move the golden rod but was unable, but he was able to get a hold of the crystal sphere. He may have sensed a menacing presence in the chamber at the same moment and heard a voice arguing him to go and never come back. Heeding the advice, he never went back to the spot where he had discovered it. But, regrettably, the other four divers did and one by one, they drowned. Did Brown's work prove the existence of Atlantis? Not only that, did it prove a connection between the lost city and the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle? Could the very existence of the Enigma Metropolis, the Bahamas Bank, according to him, were the last piece of Atlantis to sink? A trail of energy crystals previously used to power the city was located here. He said that these electromagnetic energies were capable of interfering with the electronic systems of ships and aircrafts and making them disappear. Off the shore of the Bahama Islands, in the western part of the North Atlantic, divers found steps, walkways, walls, and even pyramids deep down into the ocean. In a series of expeditions that started in 1968, professional diver Dr. Ray Brown, a nauteropathic practitioner from Mesa, found what he believed to be an underwater Atlantean metropolis in the region known as the Bermuda Triangle. He and his men were looking for sunken Spanish galleons nearby Bimini in the hopes of discovering hidden wealth. On one of the many dives, Brown and four other divers found themselves trapped in an incredibly strong tropical storm that tore apart their boat and mixed up the sand on the ocean floor. They consequently came across the ruins of a sizable underwater metropolis. When Brown glanced up at one point, he saw the sunshine piercing the water and shining on what appeared to be a massive pyramid constructed of extremely polished stone. Its surface was so smooth that it resembled a mirror. He discovered that it was constructed from a blue stone that resembled lapis lazuli upon closer inspection. Lapis lazuli is thought to defend against psychic attacks, bring about profound calm and harmony, and expose inner truths, honesty, and compassion. It also promotes self-awareness and self-expression. Lapis lazuli is revered as the wisdom stone because of its healing properties. 
With its strikingly beautiful blue coloring, it was a favorite of the Egyptian pharaohs thousands of years ago. Brown spotted an opening into the blue shining chamber, and once inside, he discovered himself in a square room with a peaked ceiling. A two-inch diameter, gold-colored metallic rod with a pedestal of fairness and self-expression. Lapis Lazuli is revered as the Wisdom Stone because of its healing properties. With its strikingly beautiful blue coloring, it was a favorite of the Egyptian pharaohs thousands of years ago. Brown spotted an opening into the blue shining chamber, and once inside, he discovered himself in a square room with a peaked ceiling. A two-inch diameter, gold-colored metallic rod with a pedestal underneath it had upward-facing metallic hands hung straight down the Bermuda Triangle. Several academics believe that this utopian kingdom formerly covered an entire continent off the Bahamas before being engulfed by the Bermuda Triangle. Many readings regarding Atlantis were recorded between 1924 and 1944 by an American psychic by the name of Edgar Case, who claimed to be able to channel information about the lost metropolis. The Bahamas Bank, according to him, were the last piece of Atlantis to sink. A trail of energy crystals previously used to power the city was located here. He said that these electromagnetic energies were capable of interfering with the electronic systems of ships and aircrafts and making them disappear. Off the shore of the Bahama Islands, in the western part of the North Atlantic, divers found steps, walkways, walls, and even pyramids deep down into the ocean. In a series of expeditions that started in 1968, professional diver Dr. Ray Brown, a nauteropathic practitioner from Mesa, found what he believed to be an underwater Atlantean metropolis in the region known as the Bermuda Triangle. He and his men were looking for sunken Spanish galleons nearby Bimini in the hopes of discovering hidden wealth. On one of the many dives, Brown and four other divers found themselves trapped in an incredibly strong tropical storm that tore apart their boat and mixed up the sand on the ocean floor. They consequently came across the ruins of a sizable underwater metropolis. When Brown glanced up at one point, he saw the sunshine piercing the water and shining on what appeared to be a massive pyramid constructed of extremely polished stone. Its surface was so smooth that it resembled a mirror. He discovered that it was constructed from a blue stone that resembled lapis lazuli upon closer inspection. Lapis lazuli is thought to defend against psychic attacks, bring about profound calm and harmony, and expose inner truths, honesty, and compassion. It also promotes self-awareness and self-expression. Lapis lazuli is revered as the wisdom stone because of its healing properties. With its strikingly beautiful blue coloring, it was a favorite of the Egyptian pharaohs thousands of years ago. Brown spotted an opening into the blue stone <laughs> chamber, and once inside, he discovered himself in a square room with a <laughs> ceiling. A two-inch diameter, gold-colored metallic rod with a pedestal underneath it had upward-facing metallic hands hung straight down from the ceiling. A crystal sphere in flawless shape was in their hands. There were seven extremely sizable stone chairs circling the pedestal. Brown realized he was running out of breath and that his time was running out. He attempted to move the golden rod but was unable, but he was able to get a hold of the crystal sphere. He may have sensed a menacing presence in the chamber at the same moment and heard a voice arguing him to go and never come back. Heeding the advice, he never went back to the spot where he had discovered it. But, regrettably, the other four divers did. And one by one, they drowned.
It grounds work in the existence of Atlantis. Not only that, did it prove a connection between the lost city and the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle? Could the very existence of the Enigma have spawned from the greed and eventual punishment of the Atlanteans? He it says he neglected to tell you that the search of these mysterious crystal pyramid hairstyles in ancient Egypt were one of the many ways the Egyptians distinguished themselves as a distinctively African civilization. Of the numerous hairstyles donned by the men of Kemet, the most popular by far was the short twist. Egyptologists, for obvious reasons, have often speculated that this hairstyle was a wig emulating Kushite hair, but this has never been substantiated by any evidence. In reality, it is well known that this is a popular hairstyle that permeated continental Africa. Bronze artworks from Benin illustrate the commonality of the short twist being worn in similar concentric rows on various depictions. A variation of this style can be found amongst the Afar men of Ethiopia, where the twists are also substantially lengthened. This style is also reflected in Kemetic artwork, but by far the most notable example of this style was captured contemporaneously by Roman artists, in exquisite bronze busts, portraying the distinctly African appearance of the ancient Egyptians. Hairstyles in ancient Egypt were one of the many ways the Egyptians distinguished themselves as a distinctively African civilization. Of the numerous hairstyles donned by the men of Kemet, the most popular by far was the short twist. Egyptologists, for obvious reasons, have often speculated that this hairstyle was a wig emulating Kushite hair but this has never been substantiated by any evidence. In reality, six million Jews. hairstyles in ancient Egypt were one of the many ways the Egyptians distinguished themselves as a distinctively African civilization. Of the numerous hairstyles donned by the men of Kemet, the most popular by far was the short twist. Egyptologists, for obvious reasons, have often speculated that this hairstyle was a wig emulating Kushite hair. but this has never been substantiated by any evidence. In reality, it is well known that this is a popular hairstyle that permeated continental Africa. Bronze artworks from Benin illustrate the commonality of the short twist being worn in similar concentric rows on various depictions. A variation of this style can be found amongst the Afar men of Ethiopia, where the twists are also substantially lengthened. This style is also reflected in Kemetic artwork. But by far the most notable it's example cool. of this stuff. Six million Jews died. They write and write and write about it. They make movies about it. Nobody is supposed to forget about it in the world. Everybody is reminded every day how this atrocity happened to them. But we, you know, the Bengal famine killed over three and a half million people in a matter of three months because they took away all the food for the World War II effort. And this is not one. From 1800 to 1860, in 60 years' time, an industry which has lasted for 10,000 years, they destroyed and left millions of people to die. It's recorded in British history and, uh, you know, in what they have written, not what we have written, because we write nothing. If we get our breakfast tomorrow, we're just happy. There's a big problem in India because we don't have a sense of history. We should not resent our history and develop uh, animosity towards somebody. But at the same time, it's stupid to forget everything and go on as if nothing happened. That would be absolutely stupid. That's a problem with us. See, in this country, what has happened in those two countries is not a small thing. Six million Jews died. They write and write and write about it. I am your mother.
Is it possible that in the future we'll be able to see past 13.8 billion years? Not with light. Not with because light. Because what the picture is that before it actually was released, 380,000 years after the Big Bang. It's a very precise number. You might say, how do you know that? Well, before that time, the universe was so hot that atoms couldn't form. So you had a soup of electrically charged particles. It was just too hot for electrons to go into orbit around nuclei. So the universe was opaque to light. So you just couldn't... Like one, almost like a big glowing star, if you like. And then when it was expanding, it cooled past the point where the atoms could form. And at that point, it becomes transparent, really almost instantly in a cosmic timescale. And so the light could then travel in straight lines through the universe. And we can see that light. So we see the light from that time. But further back than that, it's opaque, so you can't see past that. Is it possible that in the future we'll be able to see past 13.8 billion years? Not with light. Not with because light. Because the, the picture is that before, it it's actually was released 380,000 years after the Big Bang. Very precise number. You might say, how do you know that? Well, before that time, the universe was so hot that atoms couldn't form. So you had a soup of electrically charged particles. It was just too hot for electrons to go into orbit around nuclei. So the universe was opaque to light. So you just couldn't... It's like one almost like a big glowing star, if you like. And then when it was expanding, it cooled past hey, the point where the atoms could stay. form. And at that point, it becomes transparent, really almost instantly in a cosmic timescale. And so the light could then travel in straight lines through the universe. And we can stay. see that light. So we see the light from that time, but Fuck. further back than that. Wait, no, okay, sit. So you can't see sit. past that. Stay. Is it possible that in the future we'll be able to see past 13.8 billion years? Not with light. Not with because light. Because the, the picture is that before, it, it actually was released 380,000 years after the Big Bang. It's a very precise number. You might say, how do you know that? Well, before that time, the universe was so hot that atoms couldn't form. So you had a soup of electrically charged particles. It was just too hot for electrons to go into orbit around nuclei. So the universe was opaque to light. So you just couldn't... It's like one, almost like a big glowing star. And then when it was expanding, it cooled past the point where the atoms could form. And at that point, it becomes transparent, really almost instantly in a cosmic timescale. And so the light could then travel in straight lines through the universe. And we can see that light. So we see the light from that time. But further back than that, it's opaque. So you can't see past that. Is it possible that in the future we'll be able to see past 13.8 billion years? Not with light. Not because with light. Well, the, the picture is that before... Councils that were formed, like the one is the Council of Nicaea, who then started analyzing a lot of these copied and recopied and recopied and recopied and recopied, recopied texts and started analyzing which ones to keep and which ones to keep out, which ones to keep. They were thinking, let's make this into an actual canonized book. We'll take this and put that in here. We'll take this. This one, no, that talks about aliens. We don't want these. We don't want the book of Enoch in here because he's talking about aliens. Let's leave that one out. We don't want the myth of Adapa in here because he's talking about aliens. We don't want that in here. That's the book of Adam. We don't want that in here. So you have all these apocryphal texts that were kept out. And the Council of Nicaea coordinate and create this, this hodgepodge of a book. Basically, it's content. Copied and recopied and recopied and recopied text 
and started analyzing which ones to keep and which ones to keep out. Which ones to keep, they were thinking, let's make this into an actual canonized book. We'll take this and put that in here. If you want to know the identity of Gog of Magog, add this video to too. I showed you in part one that Gog is a person and Magog is a page. Set your face towards Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Y'all, we learned that Gog is the ruler or chief prince of three provinces, Meshach, Tubal, and Magog. Now, most people put these three nations in Russia, but I'm going to show you why they are dead wrong. Now, Meshach and Tubal are the sons of Japheth, which is the third son of Noah. These sons of Japheth, Meshach and Tubal, did not migrate into Russia, but they migrated into Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. If you need to, pause the video right here, because the sons of Japheth, Magog, Meshach, and Tubal, were all located in Asia Minor, or so if Gog is the chief prince of Meshach, Tubal, and Magog, that means he is the chief prince of Ruben. Y'all, this changes the game. If you want to know why Gog is the ruler of Turkey, follow for part two. If you want to know the identity of Gog and Magog, watch this video. This is part two. I showed you in part one that Gog is a person and Magog is a place. Ezekiel 38, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Y'all, we learned that Gog is the ruler or chief prince of three provinces, Meshach, Tubal, and Magog. Now, most people put these three nations in Russia, but I'm going to show you why they are dead wrong. Now, Meshach and Tubal are the sons of Japheth, which is the third son of Noah. These sons of Japheth, Meshach and Tubal, did not migrate into Russia, but they migrated into Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. If you need to, pause the video right here, because the sons of Japheth, Magog, Meshach, and Tubal were all located in Asia Minor or Turkey. So if Gog is the chief prince of Meshach, Tubal, and Magog, that means he is the chief prince or ruler of Turkey. Y'all, this changes the game. If you want to know why Gog is the ruler of Turkey, follow for part two. If you want to know the identity of Gog and Magog, watch this video, this is part two. I showed you in part one that Gog... When you mix sawdust and water together and freeze it down, you create something called Pycrete. Pycrete is so strong that the government at one point was considering making an aircraft carrier out of it. So I figured it would be a great material to experiment with to build the ultimate winter survival shelter that just happens to be bulletproof. The first step is to combine the ingredients. For this mixture, 14% of the weight will be sawdust and the other 86% will be water. Be sure to spray your buckets with some type of lubricant so you can easily get the ice out. The second step is to let the mixture freeze. I let these buckets sit outside in minus 35 weather for a couple weeks to be sure they were frozen solid. We then took all 36 buckets of pie tree out into the forest and we started assembling the shelter. We stacked them up three cubes high all around. Then we filled in the gaps with some sawdust mortar. We cut down some dead trees, made a roof, set up our stove inside to keep nice and warm. Now we're going to spend the night in here and tomorrow we're going to see how bulletproof it is. Stay tuned for part two. If you mix sawdust and water together and freeze it down, you create something freeze called pycrete. Pycrete is so strong that the government at one point was considering making an aircraft carrier out of it. So I figured it would be a great material to experiment with to build the ultimate winter survival shelter that just happens to be bulletproof. The first step is to combine the ingredients. For this mixture, 14% of the weight will be sawdust and the other 86% will be water. Be sure to spray your buckets with some type of lubricant so you can easily get the ice out. The second step is to let the mixture freeze. 
I let these buckets sit outside in minus 35 weather for a couple weeks to be sure they were frozen solid. We then took all 36 buckets of concrete out into the forest and we started assembling the shelter. We stacked them up three cubes high all around. Then we filled in the gaps with some sawdust mortar. We cut down some dead trees, made a roof, set up our stove inside to keep nice and warm. Now we're going to spend the night in here and tomorrow we're going to see how bulletproof it is. Stay tuned for part two. You mix sawdust and water together and freeze it down. You create Pretty something cool. called piecrete. Piecrete is Canadian prepper. <laughs> the tomb of Tutankhamun still remains the world's greatest ever archaeological find. There was five thousand priceless items found within the tomb. Amongst the items, these chairs. Each item was carefully engraved in gold leaf. To this date, it is the only tomb to ever have been found fully complete. What you're looking at here is the gilded shrine of the Knuckle Jars. The Knuckle Jars that you see here are made of alabaster. These jars contain the organs of the pharaoh or deceased. This is also one of the chairs found within the tomb, known as the Victory Chair. Perhaps what's more interesting that goes with this chair is the footrest. You see these figures being depicted where the pharaoh placed his feet to show that his enemies are beneath him. Unfortunately, I couldn't film all the treasures of Tutankhamun as you're not allowed to, but I did manage to sneak a very quick shot of the golden mask. The tomb of Tutankhamun still remains the world's greatest ever archaeological find. There was 5,000 priceless items found within the tomb. Amongst the items were these chairs. Each item was carefully engraved gold leaf. To this date, it is the only tomb to ever have been found fully complete. What you're looking at here is the gilded shrine of the Knuckle Jars. The Knuckle Jars that you see here are made of alabaster. These jars contain the organs of the pharaoh or deceased. This is also one of the chairs found within the tomb, known as the Victory Chair. Perhaps what's more interesting that goes with this chair is the footrest. You see these figures being depicted where the pharaoh placed his feet to show that his enemies are beneath him. Unfortunately, I couldn't film all the treasures of Tutankhamun as you're not allowed to, but I did manage to sneak a very quick shot of the golden mask. Tomb of Tutankhamun still remains the world's great. Sound made clear. It blows up of some of the carvings on the Cortinacchio sarcophagus. It was the sarcophagus of a high-ranking Roman soldier who served under Marcus Aurelius. The ceiling of the 2,000-years-old hyper-style hall of the Temple of Hathor in Vendera, Egypt. An ancient sense of humor. Greek leaves slim bullet, inscribed with dexai, meaning in Greek catch, 1,600 years old. Bones polyhedron inscribed with letters of the Greek alphabet, possibly used for fortune telling. Roman, possibly Greece, 2nd to 3rd century AD. Golden signet ring of the priest's enemy. Egypt, 26th dynasty, 664 to 525 BC. Carving of a woolly mammoth from the excavations collected from Bogomir Cave, 33,000 BC. The hint of the dagger, late Neolithic dagger period, circa 1900 to 1700 BC, Denmark, 29.5 centimeters long and barely 2 centimeters thick. It is widely recognized as the most beautiful example of Neolithic flint mappings in Denmark. Those up of some of the carvings on the Portnaccio sarcophagus. It was the sarcophagus of a high-ranking Roman soldier who served under Marcus Aurelius. The ceiling of the 2,000-year-old hyper-style hall of the Temple of Hathor in Vendera, Egypt. 
ancient sense of humor. Great blue slim bones inscribed with dexide, meaning in Greek cash, 1600 years old. Bones polyhedron inscribed with letters of the Greek alphabet, possibly used for fortune telling. Roman, possibly Greek, 2nd to 3rd century AD. Old insignia ring of the priestly element. Egypt, 26th dynasty, 664 to 525 BC. Carving of a woolly mammoth in the excavations collected from Bogomir Cave, 33,000 BC. The hinge of the dagger, late Neolithic dagger period, circa 1900 to 1700 BC, Denmark, 29.5 centimeters long and bare. Suppose the difference between humans and chimps is as small as a half a percent DNA in the intelligence vector, whatever that vector is. Suppose it is that small. What do you say? Well, what do you mean? We have the Hubble telescope and poetry and philosophy, and they stick a twig in a hole to get termites out. Maybe the difference between those is small. You don't want to think that way, but imagine it. So now let's imagine an alien who is 5% along that same vector beyond us that we are beyond the chimp. What would we look like to them? No reason for me to think that we wouldn't look any different to them than chimps look to us. And that's a half a percent. So now imagine 5%, 10%. Their simplest expression of an idea would transcend our smartest capacity to comprehend Suppose the difference between humans and chimps is as small as a half a percent DNA in the intelligence vector, whatever that vector is. Suppose it is that small. What do you say? Well, what do you mean? We have the Hubble telescope and poetry and philosophy, and they stick a twig in a hole to get termites out. Maybe the difference between those is small. You don't want to think that way, but imagine it. So now let's imagine an alien. Archaeologists have routinely ignored all pictorial evidence and numerous eyewitness descriptions of the ancient Egyptians in favor of politically motivated choices regarding phenotype and skin color. This reconstruction of King Tut does what is seemingly obvious, and gives the portraits and artworks primary authority in terms of his appearance. They exhibit a previously unseen continuity and consistency between multiple representations, and seem to show an affinity to the remains of his mummy. We already know what he looked like as King Tut's artworks are all phenotypically consistent with modern Nilotic East Africans. This is something also made evident by his mummy, which is almost stereotypically Nilotic. Forensic facial reconstruction has been proven to be inaccurate and agenda-driven in isolation. So this, in actuality, is the most scientifically sound reproduction of the boy king. Share this with someone who'd benefit. Subscribe for more of the same. King Mono. Archaeologists have routinely ignored all pictorial evidence and numerous eyewitness descriptions of the ancient Egyptians in favor of politically motivated choices regarding phenotype and skin color. This reconstruction of King Tut does what is seemingly obvious and gives the portraits and artworks primary authority in terms of his appearance. They exhibit a previously unseen continuity and consistency between multiple representations and seem to show an affinity to the remains of his mummy. We already know what he looked like as King Tut's artworks are all phenotypically consistent with modern Nilotic East Africans. This is something also made evident by his mummy, which is almost stereotypically Nilotic. Forensic facial reconstruction has been proven to be inaccurate and agenda-driven in isolation. So this, in actuality, is the most scientifically sound reproduction of the boy king. Share this with someone who'd benefit. Subscribe for more of the same. I'm not
Here's some freaky facts about the Victorian era. First off, yes, fashionable men and women did have tattoos. Sometimes a lot of them. In fact, it was kind of a royal obsession. You can see Tsar Nicholas II's dragon tattoo here, and his cousin George V also had one. And let's not even talk about how nipple piercings were a thing. The Victorian period was also the height of Egyptomania, which led to some pretty weird behavior. Rich people visiting Egypt would actually buy mummies to bring back home as souvenirs. They then have mummy unwrapping parties with all their friends. Victorians loved this shade of green. There was just one problem. It was made from arsenic. It was widely used in dresses, wallpaper, and even candy coatings. And they really only stopped when they realized people were dying by the pound. Victorians sent valentines just like we do. But they also had vinegar valentines, which were basically insult cards they sent to people they hated. Huge crinolines were all the rage. But they were also extremely flammable in ballrooms with like candlelight. Writer Oscar Wilde's half-sisters actually died this way, along with thousands of other women. And the Thames was so full of sewage, there was a great stink of 1858. Here's some freaky facts about the Victorian era. First off, yes, fashionable men and women did have tattoos. Sometimes a lot of them. In fact, it was kind of a royal obsession. You can see Tsar Nicholas II's dragon tattoo here, and his cousin George V also had one. And let's not even talk about how nipple piercings were a thing. The Victorian period was also the height of Egyptomania, which led to some pretty weird behavior. Rich people visiting Egypt would actually buy mummies to bring back home as souvenirs. They then have mummy unwrapping parties with all their friends. Victorians loved this shade of green. There was just one problem. It was made from arsenic. It was widely used in dresses, wallpaper, and even candy coatings. And they really It's the same divide and conquer tactic that has been going on for eons. We also implement that in our educational system, whether it's religious education, scientific education. The reason why I love spirituality is because it takes a look at both. It takes okay. a look and says, you know what? There is only one divine spirit. There's only one consciousness. And the quantum physics explains how it works. When you look okay. at the quantum mechanics and quantum physics, you begin to see what's happening behind the veil. Okay. You begin to realize, oh, wow, this is pretty interesting. What we can see here is that the spirituality that is being explained by quantum physics and quantum mechanics, and it also is explaining our, our, our state of reality that we're experiencing in this third dimension in this corporeal body. People don't have the time to dig into that, to research that, to study and learn it. That's why I do a lot of workshops and classes on that exact topic, to teach people that you're spiritual. And let me show you the science behind the spirituality. Let me show you how it works. It's the same divide and conquer tactic that has been going on for eons. Y'all, this is the truth about Mystery Babylon the Great, according to the book of Revelation. Revelation describes a woman sitting on a beast with ten horns and seven heads. This woman is described as wearing purple, scarlet, and is adorned in many precious stones. She is said to hold a cup in her hand filled with the abominations of the earth. She even has a name written on her forehead which says Babylon the Great, Mother of Abominations. Now this is important to note that this is one of the few times in the Bible where the word says that this is a full-blown mystery. However, the purple and scarlet she wears is an indication from other verses that she is of royal descent. And the gold and the precious stone she wears is an indication of her economic power. Now, remember that golden cup? She is literally intoxicated of the blood of the saints. And what makes things even more interesting is the angel says this woman is representing a city. It is a rich, royal city that has persecuted God's people throughout history. And guess what? You're going to be mad at me, but it is not the city of Rome. Fall off apart too. Now, this is the truth about Mystery Babylon the Great, according to the book of Revelation. Revelation describes a woman sitting on a beast with ten horns and seven heads. This woman is described as wearing purple, scarlet, and is adorned in many precious stones. She is said to hold a cup in her hand filled with the abominations of the earth. She even has a name written on her forehead which says Babylon the Great, Mother of Abominations.
Now this is important to note that this a few times in the Bible where the word says that this is a full-blown mystery. However, the purple and scarlet she wears is an indication from other verses that she is of royal descent. And the gold and the precious stone she wears is an indication of her economic power. Now, remember that golden cup? She is literally intoxicated of the blood of the saints. And what makes things even more interesting is the angel says this woman is representing a city. It is a rich, royal city that has persecuted God's people throughout history. And guess what? You're going to be mad at me, but it is not the city of Rome. Fall for part two. My passenger is getting arrested. No, I'll keep recording, thank you. It's my right. I, I will look. You're a police officer on duty. I can record you. I can keep recording you. For recording you? I'm sitting in my car holding my phone. What, what is the law? What are, you, what are you arresting me for? I'm sitting here in my car. I'm just recording in case anything happens. I'm surrounded by five police officers. I'm scared right now. I'm not being a jerk. I wanna, I'm recording it in case anything happens. You're not searching my car. You're not searching my car. <laughs> Bring the canines. I don't care, man. Like, I know my rights. I know the law. I'm an attorney, so I would hope I know the law. And here, man. Do you want my bar card? My passenger is getting arrested. No, I'll keep recording, thank you. It's my right. I, I will look. You're a police officer on duty. I can record you. I can keep recording you. For recording you, I'm sitting in my car holding my phone. What, what is the law? What are, you, uh, what are you arresting me for? I'm sitting here in my car. I'm just recording in case... I tend to strain my passengers getting arrested. Exclamation point. Getting arrested. I found a strange circle of logs at the base of some cliffs on Google Earth. So I got my girlfriend and my brother to join me on this adventure to see what this was. My brother here. This hike would be pretty difficult, and there wasn't really a set trail. We just kind of guessed as we went along. As we got closer to our destination, we saw a ruin. It's probably a granary. Nearby, we saw some broken pottery. Someone made this pottery hundreds or even a thousand years ago. Up the canyon, we could finally see that circle of logs. When we first saw it, it was clear that this was also a ruin and not just some random circle. This was probably someone's home or possibly even a kiva. I found a strange circle of logs at the base of some cliffs on Google Earth. So, I got my girlfriend and my brother to join me on this adventure to see what this was. My brother here. This hike would be pretty difficult, and there wasn't really a set trail. We just kind of guessed as we went along. As we got closer to our destination, we saw a ruin. It's probably a granary. Nearby, we saw some broken pottery. Someone made this pottery hundreds or even a thousand years ago. 
Up the canyon, we could finally see that circle of logs. When we first saw it, it was clear that this was also a ruin and not just some random circle. This was probably someone's home or possibly even a kiva. I found a strange circle of logs at the base of some... That most men live lives of quiet desperation. It's one of my favorite quotes ever because it's true. It's not been that guy. You just you're just in this world where you just can't wait to just run away. And how do people get stuck there? Bills. Bills like financial yeah. things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. bills and commitment. You you have an apartment you have to pay for. You have a car you leased. You have a wife that you have to feed. You have a child you have to raise. You have to. You have your mortgage, you have your this, you have your that, and that's where it all comes from. The way you can change is you have to put aside enough money to give yourself a window. And then you have to have a plan, and you have to spend all your waking hours outside of whatever shit job you do planning your escape. And you have to come to the realization very clearly that you fucked up, and you got yourself stuck. So whatever you're doing, you have to do it like your life depends on it. Whatever time that you have, you have to attack like you're trying to save the world. That most men live lives of quiet desperation. It's one of my favorite quotes ever because it's... We came to this site, at least I did for the first time a few years back, and the trip was a midnight boat ride in. And I happened to come across this carving here, which is amazing. And it made me ecstatic because this symbol... It shows the happy the deity of the Nile and so much fertility encircled by a serpent.